Hi everyone. Welcome again to another episode of Thoughts and Tea. Tea and Tea with your girl T. So, you know the usual. We're going to start with me saying thank you to you all for making time to listen to me. I truly and greatly appreciate you. A little crazy, little sexy, little cool, little rough around the edges, but I keep it. If you listened to last week's episode, last week's reflection, you would remember I briefly gave us a hint of what we were going to talk about and who we're going to talk about this subject with. The wonderful Dr. Janice Bird of Kent State University. And yes, it is happening we are talking about trauma and how to navigate this thing talking about trauma in this time is very important in fact it is very necessary haven't we seen what is going on right now we are all traumatized if we were not we will not be shutting down the whole world then again too we can't blame ourselves because no one asked for covid to happen Trauma is something that predates humanity, I'm sure, and is something that is going to be there after we are gone. So why not learn more about it so we know how to deal with it better? In this particular segment, we're going to have some information that I'm going to put in the blog corresponding to this podcast. So definitely visit my website, www.amitamaklo.com. A-M-I-T-A-M-A-K-L-O-E dot com. Dr. Bird will be sharing some information which I'll put on the blog. But without saying too much, let's get right into it. So thank you so much again, Dr. Bird, for joining us. And everybody listening, as I told you, um, she is one of the smartest women I've ever met, and uh, she's going to educate us today on trauma. So, uh, if you would mind, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners again, um, please. Hi, yes. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, again, I am Dr. Janice Bird. I am an assistant professor at Kent State University in Ohio. Um, I train future counselors. Um, so that will be clinical mental health counselors as well as school counselors. Um, and then also other people that will become counselor educators like me. Um, my background is in school counseling. My um, interest and in research and broadly um, uh, commitment to understanding psychological trauma um, comes from, uh, from personal experience, but then also I have, um, before coming to Kent, I was a, uh, a graduate assistant that taught, um, trauma to undergraduate students. Okay. Wonderful. So in a nutshell, she knows what she's talking about, period. Okay. All <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so let's just get straight into it. So Dr. Bird. Um, trauma is a term that is used widely and so many things affect the definition of it, what it stands for. But in your expertise, how would you define trauma? 
Hey, that's a very good question. So trauma, um, specifically, you may see it in the literature called psychological trauma. There, those terms are used interchangeably depending on where you're reading. Has been defined differently by varying scholars and helping professionals um, and broadly across helping professions. Um, it's most often defined as uh, very simply or very broadly. Broadly, it is a uh, trauma is a deeply upsetting or distressing experience, series of events or a series of situations that are faced by individuals or groups. These events impact them physically, emotionally, and oftentimes causes lifelong adverse um, effects. Um, these events in our situations can impact one psychologically. So that means mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually, and physiologically. So that can mean an immediate bodily response or lifelong health outcomes. Um, the impact of trauma, both psych psychologically and physically, are both well documented. Notably, the um, Adverse Childhood Experience Study, oftentimes called the ACE study, found that um, ACEs, or Adverse Childhood Experiences, are linked to chronic health problems, mental illness, and substance misuse in adulthood. Uh, many research studies since the ACE study continue to build evidence that the lasting impact of trauma is monumental. So recently, um, there's a book I would suggest, and um, I just finished reading it last year. It's The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, excuse me. And she sheds light on the physiological impact of um, adverse childhood experiences, again, also known as ACEs, um, from a medical perspective. So with this with this definition, we can say in a nutshell, trauma is anything that affects us in a negative way or psychological trauma is um, anything that happens that affects us in a negative way. Well, that what is that like? Let's see. Layman's term. Is that how we we'll define it? Yeah. So an event that's uh, deeply upsetting or distressing. OK. All right. So with this in mind, what are some examples of trauma? Yeah, so there are many examples of trauma. Um, so, for instance, if you look at um, children who experience trauma, um, that might be in the form of neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, divorce, school violence, and even having a parent incarcerated. Um, other types of trauma, regardless of one's developmental level or stage, could include but isn't limited to like interpersonal trauma, um, natural disasters or man-made disasters, uh, political warfare or war. Um, uh, groups of people can also experience what we call like race-based trauma, uh, collective trauma, intergenerational trauma and historical trauma. Some notable examples of historical trauma include slavery and the Holocaust. Commentators, excuse me, and even scholars have also began referring to COVID-19 or the pandemic as collective trauma. However, I recently read a, um, an article in Psychology Today. It came out maybe uh, like a few weeks ago. 
And they talked about how, yes, people experiencing the pandemic are experiencing what we would call collective trauma, um, but the burden of suffering may be unequal. Um, And that's because many communities who have historically been oppressed and those who are economically unprivileged due to systemic and structural inequality, um, oftentimes already have experienced many types of trauma even before COVID-19 occurred. Um, So that puts them at a higher risk because if you were to equate this to like a wall, so their wall could have already been compromised because of what they have experienced because of systemic oppression. And then COVID-19 occurs in this pandemic and it adds a boulder or a brick on top of something that's already broken or compromised is a better word because people aren't broken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So man, you just (laughs) hit a lot of points that we're going to expand on this topic later, Dr. Bird, because you just talked about a lot of things, which I think we can expand more on historical trauma, generational trauma. I never even, even knew such things existed, but you know, for the sake of this conversation, I will not divert from the topic. (laughs) So when trauma is happening, how does our body respond to like to, to some of these occurrences that causes trauma? Okay. So I'll try to give a simple answer to a very complex question. So this is like the very brief version that I usually give my students when I'm teaching the class because it's as simple as I can get. Um, So as as I mentioned before, one experiencing trauma can have, um, uh, experience trauma can experience like this monumental impact on the body and the mind. So one must understand that this is not a cookie cutter answer and not everybody responds to trauma in the same way. Okay. So physically, um, when we talk about how the body responds to trauma physically, um, trauma makes uh, one feel as if the body, well, the body feels as if it's being threatened. So it then goes into an emergency mode and activates a stress response. So you may have heard the term, it's oftentimes used a lot, like fight, flight, or flee. So that's a common kind of phrase that's used when we talk about a stress response. So this response is informed by many various systems in the body to include the brain. So the body feels it needs to protect itself. The body releases adrenaline and cortisol as it prepares you to save, um, save you, as it prepares to save you, excuse me, from the imminent danger. So like this response is actually quite remarkable, right? as it gives an individual an extra boost. boost. So I'm a gamer. So like kind of, (laughs) (laughs) so kind of equated to like you, you're giving yourself a, like a potion to give you like temporary adrenaline to get through the fight. So I play play a lot of RPGs, like role-playing games. So sometimes you can take adrenaline or some type of potion and it gives you this boost of energy. And it's temporary. It makes you more focused. It makes you stronger. It makes you more agile. Um, it puts you in the best position, in the best version of yourself so that you can, you can survive. 
as you can imagine, your heart rate is increased and your normal uh, bodily functions, uh, typically like your reproduction, cell repair, and even digestion are secondary and unimportant because it's like, okay, forget all of that other stuff. I need to survive. So those things kind of like, they don't absolutely shut down, but they kind of take a backseat because survival becomes your body's top priority. Now, this is great if you're in the wilderness and you're camping with your friends, la da la 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 and then a bear comes into your camp and it's trying to attack you. So your body sends its sends this response so that you can survive. You're either going to, um, the extra boost may give you the energy you need to fight the bear. Or run away. Right, run away and flee. So you can run a little faster than you normally do because you have these extra hormones. But let's put a twist in this. What if this stress response isn't a one-time experience, but the bear is someone who comes home to you each night? So it could be like you're experiencing childhood abuse or domestic violence. Or when we talk about race-based trauma, you are the target of racist uh, events in your work environment. So so what if it's ongoing like race-based trauma or domestic violence or childhood abuse? These attacks in your body in a constant flight, fight or flee mode ongoing, like all the time. So instead of your body occasionally releasing cortisol, for example, um, to help you conquer the bear, it's being released on an ongoing basis. But this process takes a toll on your body. So the immediate physical responses, including racing heart rate, nausea, shortness of breath, shaking, sweating, these things, are like the physical ways your body is responding. However, if a stress response occurs over an extended period of time and your body is overexposed to these hormones, this puts you at risk for mental health issues like anxiety and depression and health issues like heart disease, weight gain, and digestive problems. So mentally, traumatic events make people feel that they are, are unsafe Um, It interferes with their ability to create and maintain healthy relationships, and it makes one feel that they aren't in control of of their lives, so they feel powerless. So that's how it impacts one mentally. I hope that helped. Yes, it does. Um, It's a lot to process, but it really sheds light on how the body responds to drama. So you mentioned something about COVID and how people are calling it a traumatic event, which I agree with because I feel like the whole world is traumatized right now um, from the people who are affected with the disease to their loved ones, to just the whole world being in a state of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So the next question is, with, when something traumatic is happening, what are some of the do's and don'ts when we onlookers are like, you know, dealing with people who are going through it? For instance, let's talk about COVID, all right? Because that's the newest thing or the latest thing happening right now. Some, you know someone who's affected or you know someone whose loved one is affected. We are the onlooker. We are not directly affected, but this person is traumatized. So we're taking ourselves out of the equation of the global trauma right now. 
what are some of the do's and don'ts when we are dealing with people who are going through trauma? Because um, a lot of times we've had people who um, have tried to be supportive, but it seems like they did the wrong thing, even though they meant well, and it just ended up taking everything all the way to the south. So um, what are some of the do's and don'ts when we're dealing with people who are experiencing trauma? Hey, that's a good question. So before I answer that question, I want to comment on something that you just said. You said something about us, uh, let's take ourselves out of the equation and say that we are the individuals um, observing um, or we know of other people who have experienced trauma. So there's Mm -hmm. a type of trauma that I didn't describe earlier, and that's vicarious trauma. So one could experience trauma merely by observing a traumatic event. So some people who have watched, let's say those videos that are posted online of uh, police officers killing um, unarmed people. So some people have experienced vicarious trauma as a result of that. So even though you're not there, you're watching it and it's almost as if like a, almost like an empathy response kind of takes you through the motions and you too can be traumatized just by watching it. Uh, Of course, it's not at the magnitude of the person who's the target, but it still can be traumatic for you. So then getting into your first, your question, what are some of the do's and don'ts? And so I have, I think, two simple answers. It may be three, just bear with me. So okay. um, <laughs> one, if this is someone that you care about or someone that you have a relationship with, just that you being a positive healthy relation and connection with them in their lives is um, is already some, a, a part of the healing process. Because when trauma occurs, it results, um, what results from that is a broken connection. So that means connections with people, connection with things, connection with places, connection with old feelings, connection with the old version of yourself. So these things are broken and you could be a positive connection, even though it's not repairing that old connection, it's a new connection that's positive. So that in itself, you being a supportive person in their lives is already something that you're helping with. Um, and then so broadly in the literature, it sometimes it's described that that relationship with you is a protective factor. Um, so that's something that says, well, even though all of these things have not gone as well for me. And I experienced all these bad things, but at least I have this relationship with this person and we get to go walking every day. Um, So that's something that's new. It's a contradiction to the bad. Two, I would say encourage, but not force them to seek help. So a lot of people, and it could, there's stigma around uh, in various communities that relates to how one seeks help and who they go to. But if possible, if they agree, and it has to be them, um, to seek help from someone who's a trauma-informed, trained helping professional. And so these professionals can include, but aren't limited to, counselors, social workers, psychologists, um, but ensuring that that person is trauma-informed and does and is aware of how they should uh, uh, perform therapy with someone who has experienced trauma. 
And then when I said I didn't know if it was going to be two or three, I'm going to add it. <laughs> so the third is don't try to force them to do stuff and dictate to them what they should do. Because another aspect of trauma, when one experiences trauma, whether that be domestic violence, whether that be COVID-19 or um, child abuse, there's this a loss of power. So they have lost something that they have power over related to their lives. So if you're coming in and you're telling them what to do, you're disempowering them. You're telling them what's good for their lives. So you have to encourage them. You can say, hey, let's think through what you feel will be best for you and let them generate those ideas and choose the direction that they're going to go in. Instead of you, you think of someone who's experienced, uh, has experienced interpersonal violence. Um, they may be dealing with someone, a partner who is dictating to them what they can and can't do every day. So you obviously can't be that new positive connection if you're going to do the same thing around how they seek help. Um, so you can't be disempowering. Okay. Um, so a follow-up question to that actually was, we cannot be forceful. And I think in the back of our minds, a lot of us know, but sometimes it gets, a, it gets complicated because if the situation the person is in is toxic to the point that you're scared for their lives, then what do you do? Yeah, that's a very good question. And that happens a lot. So it's, it's pretty easy when it comes to children, right? You mm -hmm. report it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are authorities that you can report it to, but when it comes to like an adult, so a friend, you can have um, conversations with them in reference to like letting them know how, you know, what's going on with them makes you feel and remind them that they are of value and of worth, but ultimately the decision still has to be theirs. Um, and, and that gets back to a classic kind of counseling um, perspective that if, if a person isn't ready to seek help, um, then there's nothing one can do, the, the helper can do to, um, or there's very little they can do to help them navigate um, the healing process. One has to want it. And so there has to be a desire. Now you can continue to be uh, unconditional um, we call it unconditional positive regard. So an unconditional force in their lives that shows them, you know, you may be doing this thing because sometimes that person feels shame and guilt. So they want to continue to be there. And I'm just using interpersonal violence because usually where that is where this comes up. Um, they feel shame and guilt. Um, and then they feel um, connected in an unhealthy way to the person who is the, the person who's abusing, um, and then they uh, don't know how to break free, um, and they need to know that someone in their lives still loves them, even though they be, may be making a decision that may be harmful to them. So is that okay. unconditional? It doesn't matter. Okay, it's okay. You did this, and you, you, know, you went back again. It's okay. I'm still here for you, and I love you. Um, okay. That's a hard place to be, though. It's like seeing your loved one go through it. That's a very hard place to be. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. And I would say reach out to, um, 
I've never worked in a domestic violence shelter um, or related shelter, but I know that as if you're someone that's a friend to reach out to these shelters and say, Hey, what do you think I can do um, for my friend? Cause these people are trained and they deal with this on an ongoing basis and they will be able to provide you with strategies. I cannot. Okay. All right. Okay. So now let's move from being someone with a loved one going through trauma to us being the ones going through trauma. So in situations where we find ourselves traumatized or dealing with it, how can we help ourselves um, pull through after we've experienced trauma? Yeah. So the first thing I would recommend is learning uh, about emotional regulation skills. Because remember earlier, I told you about how the body, the stress response and Mm -hmm. how the heart rate goes up. And when the heart rate goes up, then your body starts releasing um, cortisol, adrenaline. mm -hmm. So those things uh, over your life, um, if when you start recognizing that happening to your body, so there's an awareness that you need, right? About your body and how your body's responding. And then there are emotional regulation techniques that you can employ. Um, it includes things like mindfulness. There are even um, breathe, different breathing exercises that you can do, um, bilateral stimulation. There are lots of them. There are books and cards and even YouTube videos that show you how to do these things. And that helps, you de- uh, helps your heart rate go down and also remind your body you're not in danger right now. You know, so your body would stop um, releasing those um, bad hormones into your body. Okay. Um, You said bilateral, sorry, bilateral stimulation. (laughs) What is that for those of us who have no idea what that is? Oh, because we're not on video, it's hard for me to show you. (laughs) (laughs) But what I can do is I can send you a YouTube link that has like an example of what it looks like. Okay. So yeah, and I'm like, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm and gonna I'm like sitting here doing, okay, and I'm like sitting here doing one, but <laughs> um, I'll send you, oh, I'll send you a few, you. okay, I hear oh. a few emotional regulation um, videos that I've used before. Okay, all right. Uh, so, listeners, it's gonna be in the corresponding blog on my website. That way, you have access to it. So, yeah, look out for that, and definitely go to the website for that. So that's the first one. The mm-hmm. second one is to connect and form relationships with other people and, and other things. So other ways of being like hobbies um, that create positive connections. So cre- create positive connections with people and positive connections with things. So think about the reason I keep saying things. Um, say, for instance, someone experienced trauma at a park. So say, for instance, they were attacked at a park and that's the park that they used to go to every day to run. So they now may not be able to go to that park because it reminds them of the trauma. So now they have to, when I say create a a connection with something else, something new, like even though you may not be able to go to this park anymore, maybe you can find a new place to go running um, and form a new healthy relationship with that new place. Um, and then as much as possible, um, minimize isolation as much as possible. Um, 
yeah, which is hard to like right now during the pandemic. But you can connect with people virtually. Um, yeah. Social yeah. media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in other news, I'm super proud of myself. I think I just pulled through peanut butter sandwich trauma. I lost the tooth to peanut butter sandwich as a kid. I never ate peanut butter sandwiches again until like two days ago. Oh my goodness, peanut butter trauma. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'm proud of myself, though. I didn't I'm proud of you, too. Like so 20 years. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so the third thing is to love yourself. So trauma may, may be a part of your story, but it isn't the only part of your story. Um, forgive yourself if you are triggered, you know, by. Um, you know, triggered means like something happens to remind you of the traumatic event and you may enter a zone of self-blame, self-judgment. Um, and then as much as possible, try to break the cycle of self-blame. So do things that remind you or highlight um, the beauty that exists within you and re- surround yourself by people who remind you of that too. But it, the, that starts from within and then the people that kind of sprinkle that goodness on you, those are just additions like sprinkles. But that beauty, that goodness starts within you. And then the last thing is find a professional that you can speak with to help guide you through the process of healing. Um, because we all need navigators. And, you know, sometimes you're kind of walking in the dark and you just need someone not necessarily to hold your hand, not necessarily to tell you which way to go, but they're just holding the light so that you can see your path. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So um, we're getting to the end of this discussion. Um, you, We've talked about some of the professional help that is available, um, making sure that the people are experienced in what they do. But the truth is we live in a very unfair world and so many communities have been marginalized and they do not receive, or let me say, equity is not really happening as it should with regards to allocation of resources within the different communities in the world. So in these underserved communities that may not have what they need, in cases like this, what may be some alternatives to these professional resources that they might either not have access to, or even if they do, is of low um, standard? Because, you know, budget cuts and people not getting paid, and then people start not liking their jobs because they're not really getting paid. So what, what are some alternatives to that if those resources, quality resources, are not available or they're not efficient? Yeah, this is a very... Good question. Very real question. So, um, so first I would say seek community spaces where you can form positive connections with others for free. So that could be community events, um, if possible, that could be, um, you know, going to a park that could be, um, going to like a a book club. Um, So seeking community spaces where you can form positive connections um, that are free if possible or low cost. The next thing would be faith-based organizations. So how you 
um, your spirituality, you know, no matter how you, um, what your faith looks like. So um, that too can be, is a protective factor. So um, regaining your spiritual health um, can help you um, find the strength to um, navigate the spaces of healing. Um, the next thing would be uh, if you have internet access, would be podcasts. There are lots of podcasts, even beyond this great one, um, that focus on healing and um, even providing strategies. And some of these podcasts are led by um, counselors and psychologists and other helpers alike. Um, so, and they sometimes give homework and books to read. Um, so those things are helpful. Um, the least and the next thing, which would be books. Um, so sometimes learning, uh, I've had people tell me that reading about, um, reading about what they're going through has been therapeutic. So they would read books about trauma and understanding what they've gone through. Um, and, uh, oftentimes in those books, it gives, um, spaces and, um, information about how you can begin your healing journey. Um, and so books, um, artistic expression. So um, there's this thing uh, among Native communities as well as across the African diaspora, this idea of using words to heal. So writing or reading, so and even art, so artistic expression. If you're a nature person, it could be long walks, gardening, um, watching things grow. Um, some people have um, have decided to like take on uh, like plants because it's like you see a plant and it kind of dies and then it comes back to life. And that's kind of um, a, a metaphor for like trauma um, in that, you know, it, it, it looks like it's dead, but then it comes back to life and it's. A yeah. New- yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It never goes away. It just creeps up out of nowhere. Absolutely. And what you think is gone is, you know, or dead is actually not dead. It's just being reborn. Um, and then the last thing, anything that that one finds to calm their soul um, and then being gentle with yourself, because I don't know about you. One one week, one thing may work. It's just like, oh, my goodness, I'm all into reading this book. And then the next week you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. I need something else. So and it's OK you try one thing and you may need multiple things so you can switch it up. So having multiple things that you can rely on and, and multiple people, because remember, if you, if you put all of your, if you bank everything in another person, you know, and not necessarily like a hobby, but another person or either just one thing, that one thing could fail. You need a backup plan, especially when you think of people, People all, you may have your issues, but the person that is this new, beautiful connection you have, they have theirs too. And so they may have to take a moment too. And so just because they're not there doesn't mean that they don't care. They just are taking a moment to fill their own bucket. And listeners, just so you know, she like was the person who was there shining that light during one of the most traumatic times of my life and I'm publicly saying thank you and I say it every time and I'm probably not going to stop saying it so thank you Dr. Bird. You're welcome yes (laughs) you're so welcome and you always shine a light in my life and that's 
the beauty is reciprocal. Like, you know, <laughs> as you guys have heard, we've learned a lot from this session and believe it, she's coming back again because we're going to have a whole season on mental health and this historical trauma and generational trauma thing. We have to talk about it. So it's going to happen. But once again, thank you, Dr. Bird. You're welcome. Thank you all for having me. And I wish you all, all the wish everyone the best during okay. these unprecedented times and take good okay. care of yourselves. Okay. Wash your hands. You hear that? She said, wash your hands. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that too. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Honestly, that's all I can say because having this segment with Dr. Bird was like being in therapy, except it was free. I kid you not. There were times she'd be talking and I was just like, yo, you just hit a nerve right there. Like, shoot, I need to work on me. And I hope, <laughs> I'm sure some of you felt this way throughout the session and if not I just hope at least you picked something from it because trauma is real trauma predates any of us and it's going to post-date any of us in short it was there before you were born it's going to be there after you're dead so why not learn how to identify it and how to deal with it whether you are the one directly involved or someone you loved or it's just something general like covid you know, so again, thank you so much, Dr. Bird. Um, like I said, we're going to be picking your brain again when we do the seizing on mental health because there is a lot to learn. Soullessness. Mother's Day is just around the corner. <laughs> if we're being honest, I think, in my opinion, that the most traumatized group of people in this world are mothers. Think about it. Just birthing us alone is not a very cotton candy experience. I think. I wouldn't know. I'm not a mom. I can't relate. All I know is these women are one of the most selfless groups of people to have ever existed. Yes, we all think our moms are crazy to some degree. But that craziness we see is just a manifestation of their love, their care, their affection, but most importantly, their protection for us. Because remember, the things that they know are things that we are yet to find out. So for this Mother's Day, I want us to do something for our moms. I'm going to leave my email in the corresponding blog that goes with this podcast and I would love for you to send me a message with your name and the name of the woman who's been a mother to you or your mother if you still have her around. And um, for next week, I'm going to collect all these messages with the names and then put them up. I'm going to make that into the blog post. And I hope that it's a little something to put a smile on the faces of these amazing women. I want to do this with you because I believe Mother's Day is not just enough to celebrate our mothers for all they do and all they have done and will continue to do for us. Yeah,
I'll also like to take this moment to wish our Muslim brothers and sisters Ramadan Rahim. I wish you the best as you go through this period of fasting preparing for Eid. Once again, I am grateful that you decided to join me on another episode of Thoughts and Tea, Tea and Tea with your girl, T. <laughs> I will tea you later.